Welcome back to Arab American Psycho. My name is Noor, and I'm very excited about this week's guest. She's a street style icon. She's the global fashion buying director at My Teresa. Her name is Tiffany Shu. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Hi, Noor. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be on this show. This is the second podcast I've ever done. So um, <laughs> excuse me if uh, I'm not doing a good job, but I'm very excited to be here talking to you today, Noor. I'm so excited to talk to you. Like I said, I mean, you're definitely like a fashion icon. I know that I've seen you at Fashion Weeks before, just like walking, doing your thing. And I'm like, very excited to talk to you because I think that you have such an interesting job in the fashion space. And also I think that you have a really cool kind of like story. So I really kind of want to start from like the very beginning. Um, you were born in Taiwan. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And then how long did you live in Taiwan before moving to the UK? So um, I was born and raised in Taiwan up until I was 15. And then I moved to the UK um, to go to boarding school. So I did my high school and um, university education in the UK. And what was that like for you? Like, did you feel like you experienced (laughs) like a cultural shock moving from Um, Taiwan to the to the UK? Yes, 100%. Um, I think... Also, I think at that kind of a delicate teenager age, you're very adaptable, but you also are very kind of, I guess, you're only used to one thing, which is home. And and you haven't really traveled, you don't really know what the outside world is like. And, you know, coming from an oriental country, it is quite a big difference. And I I actually also went to a very traditional um, English boarding school. So when I say traditional, it's like it's a tiny boarding school and the the, the building itself, it's like, you know, a 200 years old building. Um, it's in the middle of nowhere in the countryside. Like literally we arrived in the middle of the night in a black cab and then it drove through like a tiny driveway and it's like nothing but fields and like smog and it drives through into the smog and you see like an old building that kind of looks like a not so glam version of Downton Abbey. (laughs) And someone was at the door with a little torchlight and said, follow me. Like literally, (laughs) that was like my first day um, of going to boarding school because I didn't go to any of like the international school, you know, where everyone has a Porsche. No, not at all. Like I I went to like a countryside tiny boarding school with only 150 people. So it, it was like going back in time. So I'm, not only yeah. is culture shock, it's like going back in time, you know. You're a time traveler. <laughs> 100%. It feel like Harry Potter without the flying pumpkins, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was definitely an experience and I actually really loved it. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, first year, uh, you know, when you're 15, moving to a new country, speaking a new language uh, was quite hard. Um so I, I think one side I was super excited and the other side, you know, it, it, it was a lot of adjustment. Um, so, I th- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that that, like you said, I think that's a really kind of normal experience, especially when, you know, you're used to living in a more cultural environment and then you're moved to this completely different kind of world almost. I mean, 
I grew up living in America. I moved to Malaysia when I was about seven years old. That was a huge culture shock for me because it was just nothing like what I was used to. And like you were saying, it's like you're excited because it's this new experience and there's so much to see. But at the same time, it's like you're so out of your comfort zone and the food is different and the people's humor is different and the TV show, like everything is so different. And it's like, it can feel a little, I think, like uh, overwhelming at the very beginning. But I mean, it sounds like you grew to really love living there because you ended up staying there for quite a while. Uh, yes, I think um, I consider myself half British. I think my adult life it's um, spent in Britain, and I've picked up a lot of British habits. You know, like um, growing up. So you you kind of adapt. And I think at that age, you just adapt to what's around you. Like you don't really overthink. Yeah. Uh, and I think I was quite a rebellious child. Um, so I, I actually didn't mind of being different or um, being a different environment because I kind of never felt at home growing up at home. Um, not that I don't love, you know, my Chinese um, cultural background. I love it and I really appreciate it. But I never felt that was the place I should be growing up. Because um, I actually um, requested my parents to send me away. And that doesn't really happen for kids <laughs> are my age. I kind of begged them when I was like 12, please send me away. I, you know, I, I want to go to art school. I, I don't want to be here um and also I think being a rebellious teenager you just don't want to be with your parents so yeah you're just like I want freedom I want independence I want to be able to express myself in whatever way I want to especially if you grew up knowing that you wanted to do something in the creative field I know that a lot of parents especially for me like being a first-generation American both of my parents are Arab they 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 kind of are like one track minded where it's like you become a doctor or an yes. engineer or a lawyer it's the same and it's everything else is a hobby it's just a exactly. hobby yeah a hundred percent I was um yeah the same because I, I you know I have Chinese parents it's the same like you know you go to business school or you become a doctor and things like that I was just lucky that both of my parents were in advertising so yeah so they were obviously very open-minded for me um to to pursue what I wanted to pursue because they all went to art school um so it was perfectly fine for me although they still mentioned I'd rather you go to business school but you know (laughs) I still went to art school (laughs) it's so deeply I think ingrained from their parents and their parents' parents that like safety is the most important thing to yes. them, like having security and, and all of that. And I mean, I, I, I understand it, but I do think that like, you know, there is, you know, this, this kind of idea that that's the only way, but I think that that's completely changed, especially now. I know so many young people who like all they want to do, like they know at such a young age that they want to go into creative fields. And it's just such a different world now where it's, it's much more socially acceptable. It seems less of a shocking thing now to say, Oh, I want to work in fashion and knowing that at a young age. Yeah, no, for sure. I think um, kids today have that freedom of, you know, being creative. It's a good thing. 
I think maybe, you know, back 20, 30 years ago, it's kind of maybe, especially from my cultural background, being creative means that you're going to be out of job Mm -hmm. Um, very soon. You know, you won't be able to pay your rent or feed yourself because you're a creative. Yeah, the starving artist trope. Yes. Um, But so you knew that you wanted to move away. You knew that you Mm -hmm. you didn't really feel like you could. It sounds like you felt like you couldn't fully be yourself where you Um, were. uh, Not so much I couldn't be myself. I think I never felt that I couldn't be myself. I feel like what I want to do might not be able to be be um potentialized and yeah. I wanted to be educated where creative um education were better yeah because I think um you know Asia has very good academic um education and yeah. that background just like you know your parents want you to be a doctor everyone's geared up to do an MBA and like I don't know math or med school and things like that uh, whereas you know maybe art or like um, creative schools were a little lacking back in the days. I mean, now it's like, you know, perfectly normal. There's lots Mm -hmm. of schools. And I knew that I wanted to do art. So I wanted to be sent away. And also I wanted to learn English. Yeah. Um, So I thought, okay, you know, I I better start now. (laughs) And, And I think being competitive, I wanted to leave early. I mean, honestly, like, that's really impressive that at such a young age, you were, you were so driven and you knew what you wanted to do and you knew what you needed to do in order to achieve that. Like, genuinely, I'm like, that's, I would be impressed if an adult told me that. So that's pretty impressive that in your teen years, you, you had such a clear vision. Um, But I want to know, like, when did your love of fashion specifically kind of come into play? Um, so I never was very into fashion. I think it's not until I kind of, well, I could do, I was I into fashion. Um, <laughs> I didn't know I was into fashion. Let's put it yeah. that way. I love yeah. the movies with great costumes. You know, I, I, I am very always drawn to, um, beautiful picture books where where there's like beautiful drawings of princesses and nice outfits you know I love movie like Clueless and anything that is kind of you know iconic for the the the, the clothing but I never thought that I were in love with fashion not until I moved to the UK and um I saw um one of Gian Galliano's collection in Vogue And I was so obsessed and I thought that was like the most amazingly beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I found out who he was, where he went to school. And and I just told my parents, look, I found this fashion designer. I think he's amazing. And I'm going to go to the same school. And that that was that. I think, I don't know if I had a vision or, you know, I was smart. I think I was naive. And and I kind of just didn't really care about anything else because I was naive. I think I was naive. So I moved myself to England. I was naive because I saw a picture and go, okay, I want to do fashion because it looks fabulous to me. So, and then I was like, okay, he went to St. Martins. I want to do the same. So I 
pick up my portfolio and went for the interview by myself and got <laughs> in. And my parents, my dad actually said, I don't think you're going to get in because it's such a prestigious school. So I got in. I was like, Dad, I got in. So I guess um, I'm moving to London in you know, three <laughs> months' time. So that's what happened. I, I, I don't know if I was being smart or driven. I think I was just being a kid. And going, okay, that's what I want to do. So I'm just going to do that because I don't listen to anyone else. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, like the thing is, is I think, I think an issue that a lot of people kind of come across when they're trying to work towards something that they want to do or they love it is that they, they overthink it. Which is, I guess, would be the opposite of being kind of a little bit more like naive about it or just kind of like, you know, just kind of having this optimism or just kind of like not even considering the fact that this isn't going to work, just kind of going into it like, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm just going to go do it. And I think there's something to be said about having that kind of approach to life where you're not constantly agonizing over the what ifs and, you know, what, what if they don't let me in, then what am I going to do? And, and I think a lot of this, I, I know that I definitely do that to myself. And I think it really does get in the way of pursuing things that you really love when you're really agonizing and, and thinking over all of the negative outcomes that are possibilities rather than just focusing on what you want to do and then figuring it out from there if that doesn't work. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm like that now. <laughs> you know, that naivety has gone. Um, I definitely overthink a lot of stuff. So uh, I, I 100% agree with you that sometimes the best way is go and try and fall and then find a solution because that's the only way you learn. And that's the only way you can improve yourself in life, whatever you want to do. Um and I think the, the biggest fear I've ever had is not being able to do what I love to do. So, um, and I think that is also why I just went for it. And and I think that like genuinely, truly, I've spoken to so many inspiring people on this show. And, and I think that the common theme is taking risks and trusting yourself and just kind of going for it. Like, it's just... The worst thing that's going to happen is it doesn't work and then you try something else. But I feel yeah. like it seems like, you know, when you trust your gut and you just go for it, 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 it always works out. Even if it doesn't work out exactly the way you've envisioned it to work out, it just, it does. And and I, I love hearing about, you know, especially since you were so young and, and I think that moving to a different country at that age is such a risk, but also I'm sure it built so much kind of independence and self-sufficiency in a way that maybe you wouldn't have gained until later in life. You know what I mean? And I think there is something to also be said about developing that at a young age and that kind of helping you throughout life and your career. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think um, being, you know, having to kind of semi grow up alone, it definitely teaches you a lot and, kind of to think outside of the box and be resourceful because your parents isn't there um to help you every step of the way I mean of course they help you financially you talk to them every week but you know when small things happens you have to deal with the situation you know you have to move to London you have to find your own apartment you know you have to like you know meet new people and 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 it's um 
you definitely learn a lot、um, when you're more independent or when you have to be independent. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Which is why I, I think you know, especially for people who grow up in more traditional households, I think that it can、mm-hmm. hold them back a lot when, when you know, they're. Not allowed to move away, and they have to stay home for like a certain amount of time, and and do all of these things. I think that if it does kind of hold you back in a way,、um, and I think that you know certain personalities can kind of persevere. But I think developing that sense of independence is so kind of vital, especially when you're going into a competitive field like fashion. You know, it's yeah. It, it, and, and I'm assuming it doesn't sound like you had like many connections in the fashion world. Uh, not not when I first moved.、Um, well, not when I first moved to London and when、yeah. I started my school at St Martin's. I was quite young. I was still seventeen、yeah. when I started my foundation course, and a lot、wow. of people this were their second degree. So I had a lot of friends who were a little bit older, who already know all the brands, like or people, or who has a friend who's a stylist. Yeah, I was just like. I remember the first six months in London. I was just getting lost. And back in the <laughs> days, we had no Google Map. It was just me and a book, looking for my house because I keep on getting lost. Oh my god!、Um, so again, I think it's the naivety that kind of pulled me through because I, I think if I was a parent, I would hate to send my seventeen-year-old to live in London alone. Right, that's that's、yeah. another thing. I'm like, your parents are pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie. Dave, too. I'm like, that's pretty cool of them to just be like, yeah, sure, bye, see you later. Like, I would、Literally, love if my parents、like、that. did that. Like, I mean, that that's that's really cool that they, you know, for whatever reason,、me. yeah, they trusted you. I'm like, they did. That's the dream of every rebellious teenage girl. Like. Hey, let me just go live in London. Bye. Yeah, I. I mean, I. I think they were also naive in that sense because you know Taiwan is a very safe country. Yeah. Um. So I remember when my mom visited me here, I was like, "Please do not leave the house by yourself at ten." You know, I was like, "I don't know where you're going. I want to make sure you're safe." Um. And I think they don't. Realize it could maybe be a little dangerous for a teenager to move to London by themselves, and I wasn't living in the safest area either. I I don't know. I I got by. I'm happy. <laughs> nothing bad. I'm like ever you're、happened. safe. Nothing bad happened. Exactly. We're good. Yeah,、um, yeah. So I guess also it's a different time, you know. Absolutely. First, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that that definitely also. Plays like a role, just in general, like the you know, growing up, everything there was less worry about safety, and I think it's just also like a lack of awareness that didn't exist when I was、yeah. growing up. That we're just all like, you know, we 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 talk about things, and I think it's it's positive though that we do talk about these things, and there's conversations about things that are happening that have been going on for so long. It's just that no one ever said anything. Yeah, and like you know, there was no social media. Internet wasn't really that big a thing. All you have is the news on TV, and you know, you don't you don't see all the small things or the bad things that's happening.、Um, so, like you said, you know, and and I I think London was a different time. I don't know if it was a safer or a more dangerous time. I I think I was a little bit oblivious. 
um, <laughs> of things. And and I think I was very lucky to have the friends I had in school. They really looked after me because I was younger. Uh, you know, they made sure like if we go clubbing, there's no drugs near me. They make sure I don't drink too much and things like that. So I think those it are was good very friends. lucky. They are very good friends. And yeah. I'm very glad I had those friends um, because, you know, London and at the time when techno was a huge thing, <laughs> it is a bit dangerous, you know. And being young. And just, yeah, being young and trusting people. And especially if you're saying that you were a little bit more like oblivious and naive, like it's important to kind of surround yourself with people who are looking out for your best interests. And yeah, I think that, yeah, that's definitely also like, I think probably was really helpful for you, especially because you were young and you were living somewhere that's foreign to you without any family around. Like it's, it's important to have kind of like a support system. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think um, I had very good, like a couple of years in school and it was very inspiring and meeting meeting people yeah you know? yeah like you know when you go to boarding school you only meet a very specific type of people especially when it's in the countryside yeah um so you know coming to london um going to art school when everyone's like international student everyone are they you know our students they all have um so much opinion they're so creative um it, it it was a really I think it really shaped me as um adult um it was my experience in some outings um you know from the people that I met and the, the classes I took and how I was kind of taught uh to be independent to think outside of the box um really I think changed my life um, you know, coming from quite a traditional educational background. And it sounds like, honestly, like, you know, moving to London aside, but just going to the school that you did, it sounds like it really did kind of force you out of your comfort zone. I don't, I do, were you more of like a shy young girl or were you more? Um, <laughs> I was, um, extremely talkative love um, it love it uh, i was naughty uh, <laughs> boy. i was a very naughty a tomboy um like i said a little bit oblivious i did everything my parents told me not to do i break stuff uh not not as in rebellious as in you know bad you know I had really good grazing school but I was also very naughty you know the teacher always told my parents she does not concentrate and she talks too much in class so (laughs) I was that kid um so yeah you had things to say you had thoughts (laughs) no I just gibberish I think I had ADD (laughs) actually uh now come to think of my husband told me like do you have ADD as I come to think about it I think I might had ideas I, mean, I know a lot of adults who have were just never diagnosed with it as children and then they like grow into adult life and realize it later and they're like yeah oh this makes sense yeah exactly like, I could never sit through a movie I couldn't sit through my dinner I yeah I'm like know. I gotta be honest with you 
I'm like, now I'm like, do I have ADD? Because I find it so hard to watch movies, like so, like so incredibly hard. Like if, especially if I'm watching it at home, I'll pause it so many times and just go do something else. Yeah. Like in the movie theater, I my legs, I'll just start like tapping my legs. Like yes. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's That's very me. hard. Yeah, it's hard yeah. for me to sit through. A movie. Yes, that is me. So you know, I, I think I was that outgoing child my mom said you will run away with stranger if you can <laughs> so yeah I think that also helped me um you know moving to a foreign country young because I didn't mind yeah it was okay um I I don't mind meeting new people having new friends it, it excites me you know I get bored very easily so yeah, same. Um, yeah, so I think it was a blessing in disguise. I think it does take a certain type of personality, leaving home young or go moving to a big city, you know, underaged, because you kind of, you're like, yeah, it's fine. It's cool. I don't mind it. Um, so, so, when yeah. you, so when you graduated from school, mm. what, what was your next step after that? So I was actually working in um, a boutique called Feathers at the time. So they sold like luxury designer clothes. Um, so when I finished school, I was there as a sales assistant. Okay. And then when I graduated school, they asked me if I wanted to um, join them on buying. Um, so I did. And that's how I kind of started my journey as a buyer I mean I also in the meantime working for them I also took a master degree at Institute Marangoni which is another fashion oh, wow. degree I only took it because I needed a visa Got it. <laughs> stay. so I was part-time working for them part-time doing my degree just so I can get enough time on my visa to apply for British citizenship I didn't want to go home yeah. A lot of my friends went home after the education and I just feel very much at home in London. And, and you know, so I kind of just continued on. And that's how I really started my buying career because I was never trained as a buyer. Um, I did fashion design. So yeah. all I knew how to do was to knit, how to draw, how to sew. Yeah, um, which is, you know, I feel like, yeah. quite different from being a buyer. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like miles away. I think, of course, is you know, in fashion. And right. Your love for fashion and yes. beautiful things. That's the same. But, you know, I didn't know how to use Excel properly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I have to like teach myself on yeah. the job. Um, you know, how to work out what markup is, how to plan budget, all of that. You know, how to run a business. And, and I think working on the shop floor at the time really also helped me um, on becoming a buyer because it's very important to understand your clients' yeah. your need or like, you know, when customer complain about not being able to wear a bra or the dress is too short, like you wouldn't know that, yep. you know, coming from art school unless yeah. you worked in the shop floor knowing how a luxury customer think. Um, you know, you would never learn. So I yeah. think that really helped. I even worked in the, the stock room, you know, I booked in stock. I've worked in Notting Hill Market as well at the time as a student. 
I mean, and I think all of those are probably really helpful skills that, you know, you were able to use towards. Because I don't believe that any, like, regardless of what you, whatever job you end up with, like, you're going to be able to gain new skills that you may not have been able to gain if it weren't for, you know, the position that you're in. And, um, you know, as soon as you said that you worked as a sales associate, I'm like, yeah, that's going to help you as a buyer, knowing, knowing what the consumer is looking for, and what they want and what they don't want and all those things, because I feel like that's really essential to your current job. But also, I feel like a lot of times when I have friends who maybe aren't, you know, in the fashion space or familiar with it, when they think of a buyer, it just sounds like, oh, like you just sit at shows and like you just pick things <laughs> out or like you yes. go to showrooms and just, and then you just like pick out what you like. But there's definitely, I'm sure, a lot more that goes into, you know, being a buyer, like you were saying. I mean, as soon as you said Excel sheets, I'm like, that's that's a, that's a lot. So, <laughs> so what are things that you feel like, um, like if you were to give someone like a very, like a synopsis of what being a buyer entails, like how do you explain to people, like when people are like, what does that mean? Like, what do you tell them? Right. Um, I kind of... First of all, I let them know what exactly buyer means is everything that's on our website, a buyer or the buying team have to select to go on that website. So, you know, we have to make sure it sells. Um, obviously, my Teresa is a company that generates 600 million. Um, so how do I generate 600 million? That's really my job. Right. Uh, not to sit at shows and go, oh, that pink dress is pretty. That's right. not going to turn right. under a million. So, right. you know, there's a lot of planning. There's a big planning team um, within the business and you have to understand how to read reports, stats. You have to four plan because we buy six a month, six months ahead yeah. um, of delivery. So not only you need to have a good eye, um, you know, um, you know, the sense of trend, what's about to happen, what you think it's coming, what's going. You also have to kind of be very methodical on, you know, the, the, the budget you're planning for each brand, what category you are investing in. We look down to sizes, we looked into colors and, you know, we have a lot of report. Um before we go into a buy, we have to prep ourselves on all the knowledge that we have about the, the history of the sales um, that we've had. And then we construct the buy from there. So um, I would say it's more like an investment banking, maybe not as hard as investment banking, but it's definitely not. Kind of like it. Yeah, because you're, you're basically like saying, okay, six months from now, this is what people will want. This is what people will like. This is you, you have to basically try to tell the future. Kind of, but yeah. with a lot of calculated risks, you know, right. like, you right. know, that there's a lot of history that we have to study. We have to understand like customer behavior in April, what people tend to buy, you know, is it bikini season? Is it wedding season? Is it pre-Christmas? All of this we have to take into consideration, you know, is it Christmas gifting time? Yeah. So it's kind of like a huge matrix that we kind of have to go through to make sure we're doing a good job 
um, on servicing our customer. And on top of that, of course, you don't forget that you kind of have to really love fashion yeah. um, to, to do this. Um, I think if you're just a numbers person, it doesn't work either. Because yeah. you have to have a feeling for product. You need to know what's trendy. You, you need to love it, I guess. And I know it's such a cliche to say you have to have passion for fashion. But <laughs> it is definitely not as easy or glamorous as it seems to be a buyer. I think it's the same as journalism or fashion journalists. People think that they just go to shows and, you know, write that they like or don't like the show. Right. But little do they know they stay up until like 3 a.m. to hit a 7, 7 a.m. deadline um, on, you know, whatever they have to write and report. Um, yeah, because yeah, so, you need to get it out like ASAP. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? you do. It's, yeah. It's, so I know that. I don't know how it's changed, you know, during post COVID time, mm -hmm. but you know, um, I, I know that you typically travel quite a bit, I would say more than yes. half the year yes. for your buying appointments. Has that changed since everything has happened with the pandemic? Yes, I have not traveled since last March. Oh my <laughs> God. So since probably like around last fashion month. I mean, yeah. fashion month and before uh, the COVID. pandemic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I think when the pandemic hit, that was the last leg of my travel. So wow. like last March. And I haven't really traveled for work ever since. Um, so it's quite, I've never, I think for the past 10 years that I have not spent this much time in one place. Oh my god! One city or like wow. you know, one building. <laughs> How has that transition been like for you? Like, are you just like itching to go somewhere? Like, you're yes. like, I'm, okay, I'm over it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm so ready, hundred percent. Um, I think everyone's trying to adapt. Um, the changes. You know, there's digital showrooms, digital line sheets, Zoom appointments, but. Fashion is also a lot about emotion and, yes. and not being able to be at a show or meet people or see product or touch something. See how it moves. And, and yeah, it takes a, a lot away from um, the, the excitement. You become the person who really pick what you like from, you know, it becomes more of a numbers thing than like a fashion thing. Yeah. And we're trying to stay very optimistic, you know, be more excited about things, but it's hard, I yeah. have to say. And I do miss the, as I call it, the fashion circuit, you know, because it happens every six months. Um, and, and you see people um, and you get a sense of what's happening or what's cool, what's not cool. And you learn a lot also from meeting people. I mean, I even miss my colleagues because, you know, my a lot of my colleagues are based in Munich and I haven't seen them. And, and it, it's not easy. And I think it's not easy for a lot of people, not just fashion, you know, um, for people who have to have a lot of kind of human interaction. It's hard. Yeah, it's definitely I think everyone, you know, is experiencing like a lot of difficulty just you know, in, in so many aspects of their lives. And obviously, like, you know, I, I know that people are experiencing it in much more, like life altering ways where, you know, people mm -hmm. were losing their jobs and, and all these horrible things. But, 
you know, um, I also think that like, for me, like being in, you know, there's something about, and I'm, I'm not a buyer. I'm, you know, I'm there for, you know, mainly for inspiration, but like, mm. I feel like that's also something that probably affects you. Cause you know, you go to these shows and you see these collections or you go to these showrooms and, and then you see the people who are like attending and what are they wearing? And, and, yeah, and, you, 100%. and, 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 and it just, the, the entire, like the whole kind of feeling that you get during these, um, during these like fashion months and it just, it's a really inspiring time for, I think, everyone who works in the fashion space at whatever capacity, but specifically, I would imagine that for being a buyer, that's a pretty big component for you as well, that it's just, you know, not to be able to experience that does kind of change how you are doing your job. And, and, you know, you have to like adapt and and find new ways to kind of gain that same perspective um, and, and still, you know, do your job in a way that people are going to respond well to. Yeah. I, I, I find it a little hard actually at times yeah. when you don't get to see things, uh, especially new things. You can only see so much um, digitally um, yeah. and, and it eats away a lot of your time. Whereas, you know, we go to showrooms, maybe we go to showrooms that we don't typically go. You might find some little gem, you don't know, or maybe just randomly walk into a store and find a little gem or like, you know, that journalist who's wearing a pair of shoes you've never seen before and you ask them who it is. And and all of that is being taken away. Like, you know, the discovering and, and you know, the experience and see things for the first time firsthand. All of that's being taken away. So, I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. It, especially if you're like, I'm a, I'm a very visual person. So like, yeah, for me, like, my Teresa is genuinely one of the places I like to shop on. And it's because for me, visually, I like the way it's set up. So like, if I'm looking at a pair of shoes, it shows me the shoes from every angle, it shows me the shoes on a model's foot close up, it shows me with the whole outfit that the model is wearing. Like, and for me, when I'm shopping online, I like to get a really good sense of what that item is really going to look like, like, I will look at you know, the dimensions of a bag, all of these things are really important. Like the composition, like those are things that I'm always looking at because I want to get the best feel for the item I can. So then I appreciate a website like my Teresa because it's all kind of there. Right. You know? Yeah. So, and I think that I can't imagine, like, I can't imagine having to like, you know, get all of these items for this e-commerce site without for the most part, seeing them in person prior to, to, to putting in, you know, these orders and stuff like it's just I can imagine very, very stressful. It, it, it is quite um, draining. I yeah. think that is the best way yeah. to put it because, um, you know, not every brand is set up to show you all the dimensions, right. or take great photographies yeah. um, or have a very good connection on the zoom or yeah. you know a model available because yep. you know all the businesses have a different setup so we have to adapt to all the brands who they're what they're able to um, provide some better some not so good um, so it is quite a draining process uh, and we had to adapt and change very quickly um, when when the pandemic hits so definitely I, I think you can feel my pain. Because, oh, no, yeah, you know, I definitely mo- can. Yeah, most brands don't show the product. Like, right. 
what an e-commerce site would. Right. Um, right. The, the quality of the picture is very different and you can't zoom in and yep. like some you can. Um, and, and, you know, we style it out. So we give you a vibe. Yeah. It's and it's always important. the case. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's very important to me. And like, I think that I, I definitely prefer e-commerce over going into a store. That's how I've been for a long time. But I'm like I said, like I there are certain websites that I'm like, I don't like shopping on these websites because I'm so visual. And if it's not visually giving me what I need, like I don't I can't confidently, you know, make a purchase if I feel like I'm not getting that full vibe. So I do think that that's something that you guys do really well. And thank uh, you. And that was another thing I wanted to ask you is like discovering new talent, discovering new brands. Like, what's that process like for you? Because I feel like right now on Instagram, every day I'm seeing a new brand and I'm like, this brand is so cool. So what's that like? Because I feel like there are so many talented designers right now and they're with social media. It's just like, it's, it's almost a little overwhelming. Like every day I'm like, Oh my God, there's this new designer. I love that. Like, and it's, it's this ongoing thing. And so what's that like for you? Because I'm sure you can't just like, you know, pick every single designer. So what are, what are some of the things that like you look for when you're discovering a new brand to, um, have on the site? Um, for sure. I mean, I find it overwhelming because, you know, (laughs) I have Instagram, but I also get a lot of emails just from people. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. some are good, some are not good. Some you have no idea who they are. Someone tried to say, sell me very strange things. I've <laughs> got people sending me umbrellas, bicycles, whatever. You know, I'm like, I don't sell this. Bicycles, um, yeah, like random stuff. Um, so I think it's very important um, for us to monitor the brand when we don't just pick up a brand because I think it's cool. Like, yeah that's always like a really good starting point I have to love it right right so visually it needs to be cool like I'll be like oh visually this is really cool but then we'll start reaching out um sometimes I monitor people I follow people um maybe you know they're still a student or the collection's quite small so it's not really the right time for us to build a business with them but then we will get in touch we will try to understand, you know, the structure of the business. We also, I tend to ask for um, the lookbook they have uh, season before, um, just so I can understand the consistency of the brand. Because sometimes a lot of things are kind of a one-trick pony. They did yeah. one cool thing and yep. then that was it. Absolutely. So it's very important for me to understand the longevity of the brand. I also don't want to pick up a brand and then drop them like, two seasons after you know I want to make sure it's something that we're able to build a business with and a brand that we can nurture so we kind of you know look at the quality and which is quite hard now that we don't get to see things in real life because a lot of young young designers uh, maybe they don't have the resources to produce things properly so it's um, important for us to make sure the quality is up to scratch for our customer because our customers are used to shopping the Gucci's and the Valentinos in the world. Um, we need to make sure the product are of good quality, they're made well, um, you know, they're not from dodgy countries right. um, or, you know, they're not 
producing a sweatshop, you know. Right. So it's very important that we know the setup is all good. Um, they're able to deliver and they're able to kind of make their business into a business. So we are able to have a business with them because, right. you know, they, they might be really great at making an image piece, but they can't produce it or, you know, they can't do shipment on time or the price point is too high. All of this we have to take into consideration before I actually pick something up. Yeah, that and yeah. And, and that's and that's something that I feel like um, when you're browsing through the website, it's something that you can feel like. Even when I come across like a smaller, even like a contemporary brand, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll notice that you guys will continue to have them season and 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 it's and they're great brands. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. they're not. And they're not brands that like maybe I've seen everywhere, but it's a brand that I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm always seeing pieces every season on your website. And so it's like, it is really cool to see how curated everything really is and how you can tell there's a lot of kind of detail put into the pieces that are selected, which for me is something that I appreciate because I, I don't like feeling overwhelmed when I shop. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I like options, but I also just, I don't want to feel like I have to spend like hours looking for, you know, a bag. Like 100%. That, that's really what we're trying to do because we want to give you a curated experience already. Like what we consider ourselves to be is a service yeah. for a customer. So, you know, I'm your eyes. I'm, you know, I, I do the selection for you already. So when you come on the site, you don't have to flick through pages and pages of the same thing. We make sure things are not overlapped. Right. You know, each brand has their place and they're servicing something or someone. Yeah. So you don't have overlapping of the same thing. Because like you said, there's a lot of brands out there and it's very overwhelming. So what we're doing is trying to make sure that everything we're offering is edited of the best off. Exactly. And that and that's Mm -hmm. that's definitely how it translates. Um and good. (laughs) Yeah. I wanna know though to hear Mm. for you, what's what's the most kind of exciting part about your job? I know that's a really broad question, but Um, I think we do a lot of, um, you know, events and when we can, when we can, can. and also we do a lot of, um, collaborative capsules with designers and, and that is something that we're able to create that isn't already made by the brand. It's something that Teresa and the team has reached out to to designers and to brands to kind of work together on something that's like catered and curated for my Teresa. I think that's the most exciting thing because, you know, I also get to create something not like I, obviously I don't get to design, but you know, we will tell them what we want, what we think it's um, important to have at a time, or we can think, we will think of a concept and the, you know, the marketing and the event team will come with ideas of how we would do an event, how we celebrate a brand. I think that's is probably the most exciting part, and that is the part that sets us apart to yet another e-commerce retailer. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, you and guys have also, enjoy. yeah, you guys have collaborated with like really exciting brands, like. I remember <laughs> you did one last year. Was it with like Amina Moradi? 
Yes. Yeah. That was fun. The that collection was, really was fun. Yeah. The party was fun. Yeah. Everything was so fun about it. And it did super well. Um, yeah, we have always a lot in the pipeline. I don't know what I'm allowed to share at this <laughs> point. Um, because, you know, some projects are embargoed. Yeah. Um, so maybe I, I don't know if you need to know, maybe Sandra can fill you in after. I'm like, um, I'm like, give me, give me the tea. Um, <laughs> I'm not allowed to. <laughs> You're like, but, I'm not. Um, yeah. You have to watch the space. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that is probably the most, you know, um, exciting part of my job. I mean, of course, going to shows and fashion week and having go to the events and just setting is, of course, very exciting as well. Yeah. You know, um, being some, I've been to a few very, very special shows and it's kind of a lifetime experience. And, and I think that that makes you love your job even more and everything, you know, not being able to have a single day off for a month is worth it when you sit in a show like that and it just blows your mind and you're like, oh my God, this is why I love my job. You know, And that's how you know that you love fashion because I think that, you know, when you go to a fashion show and it's, it's, it's a really special experience and it's just something where you kind of like feel like you're like living in a dream. Like you're like, I can't believe yeah. that I'm here. And I, and that's, it's like moments like that. You're like, no, yeah, I really love fashion. Like I really, if there was ever a doubt, I know that this is something that I feel really strongly about because I mean, th- there have been times where I'll talk about shows with friends or show them videos and they're just like, okay, whatever. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, I was like, <laughs> no, you don't understand. It's amazing. Um, yeah. No, a hundred percent. When you love something, you just—I don't know—you you touch a coat, and you're like, "This is so soft." Literally, you, know? <laughs> you touch a coat, and you're like, "Oh my god, the fabric—it's the perfect yeah. weight, but it's still so soft, and it has structure, but it's not overly like these are things that like I yes. feel, and then I try to convey them to people who maybe don't love fashion as much, and they're just like." It's a nice, it's a nice coat. <laughs> yeah, they're like, okay, it's nice, it's pink, yeah, and yeah, you're like, yeah. no, but it's so soft. Did you see the stitching? Yeah, I, I think it's quite geeky in a yeah. way because oh, yeah. you know your appreciation of certain things is like a little bit obsessive. Yeah, um, and and I think that's you know what I meant by passion for fashion. Like, yeah you literally will pick up the smallest detail and appreciate it. Um, And I think that's when you know you love it rather than, okay, I'm doing a job or I'm doing it because it's glamorous. Not really. You know, I think a lot of people don't appreciate the stitching, but I do. You know, I'm so happy when I flip it over. It's not overlocked and it's laser cut or whatever. I'm like, can you see the construction? It's mind-blowing. And people just look at me going, you're just being weird, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I many a time like looks at like people's bags and just like analyzed every little bit of it in a way that definitely I feel like concerns people, but I'm like, but look at this craftsmanship, like, oh my God, like, and they're like, they're so creeped out. But, um, I do want to talk a little bit about, Mm. um, you know, you have a pretty large digital presence and, and you have a large Instagram following would you consider yourself like in addition to your job? Like, are do you consider yourself like an intro, uh, like a influencer or content creator? 
Um, I think I what people call a micro influencer. Oh my god, <laughs> Tiffany, you are not a micro influencer. <laughs> Guys, do um, not believe her. She's not a micro influencer. <laughs> um, I think I guess it kind of just happened. Yeah. So, uh, it's nice people like what I wear or yeah. what I like, and I guess my intentions to just keep it at that you know if I can influence people having you know to wear certain things why not um so content creator uh I guess to certain extent I don't think my contents are that special (laughs) I think they're good but you know i i wouldn't go as far as you know there are a lot of content creators who are so creative and they're like creative directors in their own right um i'm definitely not that person you're very helpful tiffany she has very beautiful (laughs) photos on her instagram account that beautifully produced and and i could tell that you definitely have an eye for details because everything from the lighting to the outfit to the composition everything like I could tell it was very thoughtfully um created Thank and it's you. and you that's you know. OCD <laughs> that's just OCD <laughs> I don't like, I spent so long to retouch out one line of shadow that I don't like just because there's no other reason because I can see it and Tiffany, then listen, like, you know no we, one see we it, need right? a support group we definitely need a support group because I truthfully, I swear, spent maybe 45 minutes yesterday trying to adjust a shadow. Um, So (laughs) I relate to that in a very deep way because, yeah, I mean, literally, and and I'll send, like, I'll, I'll edit and then send both edits to like my sister and be like, which one do you like better? And she's like, I honestly, genuinely (laughs) cannot. Is there a difference? Like, are you tricking me? Is this a prank? I'm like, how do you not see the difference? It's obviously a warmer tone and there's obviously <laughs> less contrast. And there's, and she's just like, uh, I guess I like the first one. And I'm like, okay, I don't yeah. trust you. I don't trust you at all. You definitely can't even tell the difference between the two. Um, yeah, that is me. That is me. When my husband, I'll flick through four pictures. Like, which color do you like? And he's like, it's the same picture, the same color. I said, like, no. Are you blind? Can you not see one? Is How do you know? One's more orange. It. Yeah. Um, I think that's just caught obsessive. And I think I need to chill. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I, I, I am obsessive and I'm okay with it. I've come to terms with it. I accept it. This is who I am. I'm like, I don't know that it's something that I can change, but um, I did read an interview of yours or briefly skimmed mm-hmm. through and I saw that you you want a petting zoo with alpacas and yeah, I do. and I would really like <laughs> listen I'm like that sounds like the dream I alpacas are so cute it's like they upsetting are. how cute they are like I can't handle it like if I look at an alpaca for too long it's like over simulation because I'm like you're so cute how can anything be this cute um so do you just like really love <laughs> animals um, I like specific type of animals. Um, and I'm obsessing over certain one, um, d- different period of time. So like my dream petting zoo, it's probably a combination of everything that I think is cute. I don't think they all live in the same hemisphere, so it's never gonna happen. <laughs> um, but like my latest obsession is capybaras. 
Have you Wait, ever seen one? Are those the? Are they like really small? Giant rat. No, they're yeah. like the biggest rodent in the world, and they basically look like a horse pig, and they're the size of a pig. They look like a hamster. I'm looking and, at and pictures of them right now, and they're so cute. They're so cute. Wait, they're are these the ones they, that are? They're really smart or something. Like they're like like. Mm. Are, am I confusing them with something else? Maybe. I don't know if they're smart, <laughs> but they're very chill. They like to hang out with other animals, and they're very sweet and cuddly. They're I mean, like the first time I showed it to my gerbils. colleagues. Yeah, so the first time I showed it to my colleague, she's like, "Tiff is a giant rat." I was like, "No, it's not. It's so cute. It's um, it's literally so cute. It literally just looks like like a gerbil cat. Like I I don't even like. It looks like a little horse. I can see that, but it's it just the size of it is hilarious. Like it's such an yeah, awkward it's, size. It's large. I saw one the first time actually in Korea in a raccoon cafe, and I did not know what it was. And they have raccoon cafes. Yes, it's so cute. You go and buy a coffee, and you can pet the raccoon. Okay, well, it's that's. I guess I gotta go to Korea because I gotta be honest with you. The raccoons in America, like you see a raccoon, you you should like run away. Like that's that's literally when you. I I see raccoons. They're they rabies. Are, they're very cute. Like, don't get me wrong. I want to play with their little adorable hands that look like they have little gloves on them like they're so cute but they do I'm pretty sure mostly have rabies so when I see raccoons as much as I so desperately want to go snuggle them I resist to that urge but now I know that I could just go to Korea and and, and go to a cafe and drink coffee and snuggle a raccoon yes and you can feed them too and the one I went to has a capybara um I mean, I was quite shocked when I saw it because I did not know what it was. Right. I've never seen one. You're like, what is this uh, hamster? <laughs> yeah, like a huge hamster. And I was like, uh, there's like a horse <laughs> thing. I don't know what it is. And then I found out like in Japan, there's a zoo that has a lot of them and they give them ensign um, because it's, they're from South America. So it's quite warm. Oh. So they give them like hot springs so they can warm up and they just... They're very cute. But yeah, I mean, it's my retirement plan is to have a petting zoo. Listen, I'm I'm on the same page as you because uh, first of all, I am constantly trying to bully my mom into getting a farm. Like, because I'm like, listen, I can't get a farm right now. So I keep trying to trick my mom every time I talk to her. I'm just like, but like, what if you just got a farm and just got, you know, some sheep, some horses, some fancy chickens, some and she's yeah. like, like, you know, just just throwing it out there. And she's like, okay, then who's gonna like take care of them? I'm like, you can like hire someone to do that. And she's just like You will. <laughs> she's you like she's cause she no, she's like, I know you're not going to do this. I mean, I grew up uh horseback riding and and when I would have to go to the stables to like do anything for the horse, like I would just end up playing with the horse and literally do nothing. So my mom already knows as far as like my uh, work ethic for caring for animals like I have cats and I take care of them but like larger farm animals like there's you have to do so much like constant maintenance so I'm like I I want to play with them I want to enjoy them but I don't want to I don't want to take care of maybe when like I'm older then I'd be like okay I can I have the time because it's quite therapeutic I don't know it's definitely it's definitely carrots. therapeutic yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um I did live in a farm for a very short while because when I was in boarding school 
on like longer school holidays. I can't go home because my home is miles away. So I go and stay with my guardians and they're all farmers because oh, I wow. live in the countryside. So I kind of stayed, spend a little bit of time helping out in little farms. Um, it was very cute and I liked it. So I guess maybe I, I, I am that lady who has a couple of fancy chicken and crazy rabbits and like, you know, oh, I love the hang out with rabbits. I mean, I will <laughs> say when I, when I lived in Malaysia, I had uh, like two rabbits. I had four chickens. I had two roosters. I had like three cats. So I lived a little bit of that and I did care yeah. for my chickens and also chickens require a lot of cleaning, a lot of constant cleaning, <laughs> like their chicken coop. I had to clean it so often. Like, I don't know, but I, I definitely, um, I love chickens. Like if I don't know how this came, turned into a farm animal podcast, but I, I chickens, <laughs> chickens are so underrated. This isn't even the first time I've said it on the podcast. This is like the fifth time I've mentioned this, but like, I feel like people, when they think of chickens, they don't think like, Ooh, cute, cuddly, but like chickens are cute and they are cuddly and they're smarter than people think they are. They're very cute. Um, yeah, silky, silky chickens. Silky chickens. Cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, They're so fluffy. So yeah. So basically, you need to get a farm. And, I do. And I'm gonna come visit you on your farm and play with your silky chickens and your capybaras and you know perhaps maybe alpacas. I don't know. Whatever yes, animals you 100%. have. I'm like I'm 100%. gonna come to your farm and play with all of your animals. Um, but honestly, Tiffany, this has been so fun chatting with you. You're hilarious. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope we haven't gone off topic. <laughs> oh, oh no. This is this is the exact topic. People People, the people want to know about our love of chickens and 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 raccoons. Um, but where <laughs> where can people find you online? Anything you want to plug? Uh, I guess my Instagram and like I guess if people who loves fashion and shopping, you come to myteresa.com. Yeah, and I'll have um, Tiffany's Instagram account linked in the episode description as well as the link to my Teresa, which. Honestly, like it's just one of my favorite places to shop. So definitely check it out. They have really great edits and stuff. So if you're looking to 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 buy something now, that would be the spot to do it. Um, And then as always, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Arab American Psycho, where you will see a lovely picture of Tiffany. And you can follow me on Instagram at Nori, where you know I'm just posing next to things being vain and also being a little weird um and as always guys don't forget to floss your teeth wear your sunscreen don't be an asshole and i'll talk to you guys next sunday 